You know, stargazing is a, uh, seems to be a very popular pastime with Americans. And I'm not talking about the kind of stargazing you go out at night and look for meteor showers and, you know, planets and whatnot. I'm talking about celebrity stargazing. On a recent trip this past week to uh, our local grocery store, while I was waiting in line to pay for what I was getting, I was accosted, literally, by all of these magazines there in the aisle. In fact, I was so intrigued by them, I started writing some of them down. And here is an example of what I found. Why we love sugar. I don't know who sugar is. All right. Maybe some of you do. I, I really don't. Uh, ben and J-Lo battling over baby. Whoa. This is one I almost picked up because I wanted to read it. It's called Hollywood's Weight Loss Winners and Sinners. <laughs> and of course... Not to be overlooked by any of you Swifty fans. Here it is. Taylor Swift. Fierce. Fearless. Fantastic. And I thought to myself, who buys this crap? I mean, seriously. You're going to put out money to read about why we love sugar? We just seem to be fascinated by these stars, by these celebrities, by these famous people. And it got me to thinking, what if I or what if you were all of a sudden like in the presence of when you turn around in line and there is like a really famous person? What would you do? How would you react? Well, I heard about a woman who that happened to. She was going, visiting a friend in Hollywood, California, and they went into a local ice cream shop, and she was buying an ice cream cone. Well, she goes in, oh my gosh, none other than Thor is there. I mean, Thor, in other words, also known as Chris Hemsworth, and he's of, uh, you know, uh, from the Marvel series, and uh, he's in the shop there buying an ice cream cone too. Well, she was determined not to ogle or stare, but was going to remain calm with grace and dignity. Not to invade his privacy, so she ordered her cone, gets the change, leaves. As she's walking out of the shop, she realizes she has the change in her hands, but she doesn't have her cone. So she troops back into the store, informs the clerk, I don't have my cone. And the the clerk says, well, miss, uh, I I gave you your uh, ice cream cone. I'm sure I did. Well, finally, Thor, who was licking his ice cream cone, stopped and spoke up and said, "Uh, ma'am, I think you'll find your ice cream cone in your purse right where you put it. So much for grace and dignity, right? (laughs) Yes. The Feast of Epiphany we celebrate today is about a bunch of stargazers. 
It really was. The Magi, the Magioi, as they are in the Greek, were a, a group of Persian ast- astronomers, astrology. It was all combined together. They studied the stars. And the Persians and Babylonians had done this for millennia, for thousands of years. We know from cuneiform tablets, their writing, that they could predict conjunctions of planets into a thousand years. They were so accurate, which means for a long, long time they would study the heavens and very accurately basically know what's going to happen. Well, one evening, as they were doing their job, we're told that a new star made its rising. And they were startled by it. And they realized through their research that this must herald the birth of a newborn king. And they determined that it was the king of the Jews. And so they set out to find him. Well, after a journey from all the way from Persia, modern Iran area, they finally, in their journey, comes to a conclusion. And in Matthew's gospel, I just love the terse way that he says it. He says that upon entering the house, they found the child and his mother Mary. Now what is very interesting is this very verse is the context for this beautiful icon we have right behind the pulpit. The image of the Madonna, the mother and child. The very first Gentiles, non-Jews, to worship Jesus as God and Lord come and see our Savior in the arms of his mother. And we are told that upon such a sight, they were so overwhelmed with joy, so overtaken. The Greek is, is just superfluous. They, their, their joy was like had no bounds. They fell down on the ground. And to prostrate means they put their forehead on the ground. And then they offered him their gifts, which were signs of their faith, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now their reaction was in stark contrast to King Herod back in Jerusalem. (laughs) Rather than coming to do homage and adoration, oh no, he was planning to kill this potential usurper to his throne and to his dynasty. And we know that story later in Matthew with the slaughter of the innocent boys of Bethlehem. What is very interesting as you read that the Matthean account in chapter 2, Matthew writes his account to draw us into the story, to see ourselves in this story. And Matthew wants us to find our place. What what is our posture when we come to Jesus? Well, 
One is faith. One is faith in adoration of Christ, just like the Magi who fell down in worship and praise. The other, think of Herod, the other posture to take is fear. I mean, Herod was afraid what this Jesus was going to do, what this Messiah was going to do to him and to his kingdom. He was afraid. And then there's another one. At first, you may not notice it, but if you really look at the text, it's there. The third option is indifference. Really? Well, where's indifference in this story? Remember when Herod heard this startling news that there has been a newborn king of the Jews, and he says, okay, where is this supposed to be? He calls the Bible scholars in and the priests you know, the religious dudes, and he says, tell me, what do the prophets say? Where is the Messiah supposed to be born? The king that will save us. They said, oh, okay, it says right here, Micah, uh, in Bethlehem. Just like his great, 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 great grandfather David was from Bethlehem. So the Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Oh, great. They knew the scriptures. Did they bother to go? They didn't get off their tushes. They stayed in Jerusalem. They were indifferent. It didn't make any difference to them. Faith, fear, or indifference can be the different postures any one of us can take in the presence of Jesus. Well, the Magi set out on a quest They were following a star, which is so interesting because the star leads them to Jerusalem. And the star actually led them to hear the word of God. That the Messiah, the king of the Jews, was to be born in Bethlehem. We are all on a journey. Every one of us is on a journey of life. I mean, you may, well, I'm not on a journey. Yes, you are. I've been on a journey for 71 years of my life. And I realize on this journey that I'm taking, gosh, my look behind me in all those years is a lot shorter now than the look in front of me, unlike some of you, where your look is a lot longer ahead of you. But we're all on this journey. In the Eucharistic prayer that will be prayed as we enter into the mystery of our redemption in the liturgy of the Eucharist, there's this phrase, you came in mercy to aid all of us so that those who seek might find you. That God has come in mercy in this child of Mary. So he came to seek us so that we who are seeking something in life can find him. What Matthew basically is inviting us to see ourselves as seekers, just like the Magi, and uh, really have us ask another question. What star are we following? What are you seeking in life? I mean, if you're really honest with yourself, I mean, really fully, and you know, honestly, 
and I know this only because of myself and who I am, the hardest person to be honest with is who? Yourself. It really is. But if you take a moment and say, okay, what, what is really, what is the guidepost that I follow? What is the map, the road map that I am taking in life? What's really fundamentally the most important thing that I seek after, that I want? Well, gosh, I could name a few. For some, it's power. I mean, they want power. They want influence. They, they actually want to be in control. That's a huge deal for some people. I guarantee you, people who are hearing my voice right now, they want to be in control. Control themselves, control their family, control their kids, control their environment. Really important, number one, control. Hmm? For others, oh, this is another one, security. Oh, gosh. I want financial security. I want security in my health. I, that's why I work out. That's why I do all this stuff. I want security. That's why I eat. I want to have security. I want to cocoon myself. Security. You know another one is? I just want to be liked. I know some of you, that's exactly where you're at. You want to be liked. You want to be accepted by friends. You want people to, like, hey, yeah. Because you don't want to be lonely. Hmm. My brothers and sisters, there's a whole host of things that, if we're honest, can be our guiding star. And we never even thought about it that way. But it really motivates us, it really does. There are many stars that we can follow in our journey of life. Many directions we can take. What is really interesting, speaking of astronomy, is that the Greek word for the planets, you know, Jupiter, Saturn, Mars, the Greek word is plano, hence our English word planet. And you know what plano means in the Greek? It doesn't mean planet. It means something that deceives us. Something that leads us astray. Wow, that's interesting. Well, put yourself as a mariner, as a sailor in the ancient world in the Mediterranean Sea. You're sailing at night. You don't have a compass. You don't have your iPhone with the GPS to help you get there. You know what you have? The celestial heavens. Now the thing about planets is that they move across the sky rather quickly for astrological objects. And if you would use a planet to set your direction of where you're going, you'll never get there you'll be led astray. But if you use the North Star, that never moves. It's fixed in the heavens. You know that's why it's called the North Star. 
you know where north is, and then you can determine east and west and south. The star that guided the Magi guided them to hear the word of God, informing them that the child was to be born in Bethlehem. And it is that same word of God that leads us to Jesus. Because Jesus is our North Star. He doesn't change. He doesn't waver. He's not ambiguous. He's called the truth, the way, and the life. In John's gospel, he is the light of the world. Again, in the Eucharistic prayer that we pray for Epiphany, there is this beautiful phrase. It says, for on this feast day, which is filled with awe and mystery, though invisible in his own divine nature, he appeared visibly in ours. And begotten before all ages, he has begun to exist in time. The eternal God, the very God of very God, begotten, not made, like we're going to confess in the creed. He stepped into our time. Eternity becomes in time. He became human, flesh and blood, to do what we could not do, to break the chains of darkness in this world, because it goes on. The prayer says, so that raising up in himself all that was cast down, he might restore unity to all creation and call, listen to this, call strain humanity back to the heavenly kingdom. The journey. Jesus once said, seek the kingdom of God and everything else will be given to you. This prayer reminds us we live in a broken, dark world. We live in a world that's falling down. Look at us. I mean, my gosh. There's so much division, so much hatred, so much darkness, so much killing, so much murder. When I went to high school, I never even thought that a crazy nutwing would take a gun and start shooting people. Ever. It never occurred to me. My grandchildren, that's just part of life. You learn that. You know what the scriptures say? Sorry. That's, we live in a broken world. But the light has come into it in this little babe in the arms of Mary to do what we could never do. To die the death we should die. So when he is raised up from the dead forever, he draws all to himself and wants to bring unity. The Greek word, uh, irenes, which also is the Hebrew word shalom, which means harmony. A beautiful symphony instead of the dissonance of this world. Parenthetically, 
That's why the church raises its song in harmony to God. Through the sign of a heavenly star, our Lord called the wise men to his word and then to himself. And it is through his word that our Lord continues to call us. One of my favorite psalm verses is Psalm 119, verse 105, and this is what the psalmist says. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light for my path. So I'm asking you, what are you really seeking? Honestly? What lights your path? Or let's put it this way. What star do you follow? My prayer for you, it is our Lord Jesus Christ. One of my favorite hymns of the Epiphany season because I, I get fascinated by this whole imagery of the star, is we three kings. So I asked Jacob and his crew to lead us in two verses of one of my favorite epiphany carols, We Three Kings. Please stand and join me in singing.